This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Los Angeles has been roiled by scandal of national proportions over the past week, centered on a leaked audio recording of a meeting last year between three city council members and Ron Herrera, president of the LA County Federation of Labor. Nuri Martinez, then president of the LA City Council, was chief among those who used disparaging and racist remarks about the adopted black son of fellow council member Mike Bonin. While Martinez and Herrera have both resigned from their positions, two other city council members, Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo, as of this recording, remain in their seats. They have, however, both been stripped of their committee assignments. We turn now to Councilmember-elect Eunices Hernandez, who won the seat occupied by Councilmember Gil Cedillo this past June. Welcome to the program, Eunices. Thank you so much for having me, Sonali. So this has been a very trying time for Los Angeles. You ran on a progressive platform and you take your seat in December. Congratulations on winning your seat. Um, and I don't suppose you expected to take your position just months from a scandal that has provoked even President Joe Biden to call for resignations of the city council members in question. What have the recent city council meetings been like? You've attended them since the uh, recording first came to light. Protesters have been attending them, demanding resignations. There's been a lot of pain caused by the recording. Give me a sense of what those meetings have been like since it all came to light. Well, the meetings, you know, the first meeting since the the conversation came to light was very, was intense. You know, City Hall was full of community members, uh, but I think the most shocking part was when Council Member Cedillo and Kevin DeLeon showed up to the meeting. Uh, community was outraged. You could feel the tension in the room. And also you could feel that the council didn't have power over the pushback that was happening. And I think that's kind of the same pattern that we're in today where, you know, they canceled the last few meetings, the meetings for this week have been canceled at least until, you know, the midweek. And so we're going to see what what's going to happen, but community does not want to move forward as with business as usual until these two people resign um, or until the city council takes steps to remove them from their positions. Let's get a sense of what um, was being discussed. There, there's sort of two broadly speaking issues here. One is that the council members in question used very racist remarks, um, not just to Mike Bonin's son, but also to the Oaxacan community in East Los Angeles. And then, so there was a racism. And then all of this was happening in the context of discussions around redistricting that uh, have sought to try to maximize the power of one community over another. So give me a, so the racism, we, we know that there is racism. We know there's anti-blackness. We know there's anti-indigenous sentiment, but give us, uh, explain for our audience what the redistricting conversation was around. So the redistricting conversation was about how to maintain uh, their, the power of the three council members that were in that space to make sure that the drawing of the maps benefited them for their election. Uh, and the incumbent that I ran against, there was a conversation particularly in, in, that, set, in that set of hour where they were talking about how they need, he needed to cut out certain parts of the district, parts of the north side of the district, which he said were headaches for him. 
Uh, and when you look at the map now of the election results, I won that entire North District. And so it's reflective of what he wanted to do, which is cut it up. Um, this redistricting conversation is really important because it happens every 10 years. It's based on the census. It'll, it's one of the opportunities where communities of color, particularly black communities, have the power to really uplift uh, leadership in that space. And what we saw was that three people out of the 15 council uh, membership were plotting and deciding how they wanted the maps to look so that it most benefited them and their legacy and to make sure that they got elected. Usually redistricting is about how we can create more representation for our communities, uh, but that's not what the conversation was about. It was about holding power amongst three people and someone who was the president of the Labor Federation. Ron and we also Herrera, saw, right yeah, Ron Herrera. This conversation, um, I also want to uplift that it wasn't just a conversation that included racism, anti-LGBTQ sentiment, anti-Indigenous in, indigenous sentiment, um, and not only about maintaining their power, but it was also a reflection of how politics have been working at City Hall, because it wasn't just a conversation, it had real life implications. They talked about destroying Councilmember Nithya's Raman's district, which they have done, they have broken apart. They talked about putting in someone in CD10 who would benefit you know, the policies and the direction that they wanted to move forward with. And we saw that the person that they uplifted in that space was appointed. Um, so I think that's something really critical to also address. Like, it wasn't just a conversation. It wasn't just highlighting. This had real life implications on the lives of the over 4 million Angelinos that live in Los Angeles. So multiple things were revealed. During, I mean, when we talk about secret backroom deals, this is the definition of that. Let's talk for a moment about how the community has come together. The anti-Blackness in particular that uh, Nuri Martinez and De Leon and others demonstrated towards Mike Bonin's son, Mike Bonin, for those who are outside of Los Angeles, he's a white city council member. He has an adopted son who's black. And uh, Nuri Martinez talked about his boy in violent and racist terms. How, has, how have Latino residents rallied around the black community saying, we, aren't, we don't stand for this. This doesn't represent us. What we're seeing is a beautiful collective building uh, on the community level. And I think I just want to frame that at the community level, for years, people have been working to build bridges, to build coalition between Black, Brown, Indigenous, and LGBTQ communities. This was just something that spurred uh, even deeper relationship building, where you have organizations and communities such as the community of Oaxacan standing with the community of Black Lives Matter, protesting outside of City Hall, calling for the resignation of these three individuals. And so, you know, it's a stain on City Council what has happened, but this has really uh, uplifted and cemented the relationships that have been building for years on the community level. Um, there's plenty of beautiful videos and pictures of, you know, folks coming together, especially outside of City Hall, inside of City Hall, uh, moving towards the direction of, you know, they do not represent us. We need to actually fight for people who are going to represent our values in our community. How did the discussion center around redistricting with respect to Black communities and Latino communities? There were statements made, oh, he's with the Blacks, or he's with the Oaxacans, or they're with the Oaxacans, etc. How, how did that come across, and, and how do you make sense of that to a non-LA audience? You know, Los Angeles is one of the most beautifully diverse places in the entire country. 
Uh, we have communities that you know are disproportionately impacted by systemic issues, predominantly Black, Brown, Latino, and Indigenous communities. And so this conversation around, oh, I'm with a certain group or I'm with a certain group, we have to protect our group. Um, it's a really immature analysis of the systemic issues that are actually impacting our city. And it's an immature analysis on what representation should look like. Uh, you know, we just because we, Latinos are 50% of the population in the city of LA does not mean that we need to be 50% of the city council. If we're really talking about equity, if we're really talking about uplifting communities that are most disproportionately impacted by these systemic issues, then that's what the council should reflect. And their conversation was not that, it was antithetical to that. It was how do we keep our power and how do we put people in these seats that are gonna do what we say, um, which is very much different than actually doing a process around equity, making sure that black communities have the necessary representation, that we have folks who are uh, trans, gender non-conforming on the council, um, that are that's more diverse than just, you know, the Latino community, which, you know, I, I come from the Latino community. I, I've seen, you know, the anti-blackness, the racism in my community, but I've worked for years to move people in a better direction and we're moving that in that direction. But if we're really talking about equity and representation and not leaving people behind, then you know we have to move forward with different representation on the council because what has happened and the conversations that occurred uh, really have put us in a place where we have left communities behind, particularly Black communities and Indigenous communities. With respect to the Indigenous community, she referred to Oaxacans and in Koreatown, in, in this is Nuri Martinez, um, who has now resigned, she referred to them in very disparaging terms as well. I won't repeat it. People can certainly see the transcripts of the recordings. The LA Times has uh, published them. This is a very rich community, culturally rich community. It has uh, you know, created so much beauty in Los Angeles uh, through its culture. How are people, Oaxacan Angelinos responding in particular? Because again, this is something that if you're not from LA, you may not know very much about this community. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I think for me throughout this whole process, seeing how the Oaxacan community has stood up for themselves is one of the most, I'm getting chills just thinking about it, is one of the most beautiful things I've seen to come out of this mess. Uh, they have held marches and, and rallies leading up to City Hall. They have taken the, the place outside of City Hall and, and danced and put music and were dressed in their indigenous attire. You know, all of this was a reflection of their power you know, calling for the resignation of these individuals who have disparaged them. You know, folks don't really think uh, that there's a large walking community. If you're not from LA, you're not gonna know that LA is one of the places where we have one of the largest populations of the Oaxacan community next to Mexico. And so to see them standing in their power, to see them demanding what they deserve uh, is incredibly beautiful, especially when they were disparaged so horribly on these in these conversations uh, by all the members in that call. Uh, the incumbent Gil Cedillo disparaged them, what they look like. And so, I mean, I, I think for folks that don't know, they should definitely look into it. It's the Oaxacan culture and community here is uh, has one of the most beautiful reflections in both the where they work, how they run a lot of our restaurants, and even that the food that they produce, um, I know that they're very proud of that. And so, I, I, I hope folks can tap into that because it's, I think, one of the most beautiful things to come out of this yeah. mess. The members of the city council at stake and Ron Herrera, who has also now resigned from his position at the LA County Federation of Labor, these are not right wingers, right? These are supposed to be part of the sort of liberal 
section, liberal faction of politics. Um, you know, at, on the one hand, it sounds shocking to hear how they talk when they think no one's listening. But on the other hand, I imagine for folks like you who've been do, you know, working as an outsider insider, if you will, soon to be insider, um, it's not surprising, right? That even liberal politicians or perhaps especially liberal politicians use identity politics to serve their ends outside and then internally um, use it in a, in a very cynical way and racist way. Yes, I, I, it's in particular, you know, the incumbent that I ran against, Gil Cedillo, was endorsed by Bernie Sanders. Mm. He was endorsed by a lot of the Democratic establishment, a lot of the unions that represent these very same communities that they've dis that he's disparaged. And so when you when we talk about liberals, when we talk about progressives, it means nothing if they don't have values and they're not connected to community. When you look at who funds their campaigns, that's a big deal. The incumbent that I ran against took hundreds of thousands of dollars from developers, real estate, different corporations. Our campaign, we rejected all of that money. And when we did get donations from them, we refunded that money because we don't want, we're not accountable to these corporations and to these, these entities, to special interest groups. We are only accountable to community. And so I think when folks think about progressives and liberals, it's more than just how they speak. It's where their money comes from. It's what their values are. And um, I wouldn't even say who endorses them because the, even that process is full of um, full of issues, as we saw with Bernie endorsing Gil Cedillo, Bernie Sanders. Right. Eunices, you uh, tell me also about the work that you and other progressive Latino activists have done in finding common cause and building bridges with the black community. You, you ran on a platform of, um, uh, of, of completely reimagining the carceral state, you know, Los Angeles and LAPD and LA County Sheriff's Department are notorious for the violence that they use and uh, LA, you know, Men's Central Jail in downtown LA and, and uh, all of those systems of incarceration that you've taken on are also this, the, the targets of our local Black Lives Matter chapter in Los Angeles. So tell me about that important work, the cross-cultural work, uh, cross-racial work that you have been engaged in. That's a great question. And when it comes to working on campaigns, when it comes to working on policies, it's most of my work has been around the criminal justice system. Um, but it's because it's this system and other systemic failures because they disproportionately impact black, brown, indigenous and low income communities, LGBTQ communities is why we are so intentional in making sure that when we do move forward with our work, that the tables that we build are reflective of the communities that are most disproportionately impacted, that we take the lead from people that are directly impacted. And so for me, it's critically important that our coalitions, our values and how we move forward is reflected of building bridges and up and of uplifting the communities that are most disproportionately impacted. When we talk about the carceral system in LA County, 50% of the people in the jail system are Latino. 30% of the people in the jail system are black, yet black community members only make up 9% of the LA County's general population. And so the system that is sucking up the Latino community is, is being reinforced and used also on our black community members on our lgbtq community members and so that's why it's important when we're doing analysis when you're thinking about how to move forward that you take all of these 
things into into consideration because it's, it's not just the latino community that's most impacted we have other communities that are being sucked in and impacted by these different systems so for me it's like measure when we worked on measure j which moved 10 percent of locally generated tax dollars back into community we included in there to make sure that money could go specifically to black and minority owned businesses when we worked on the jail fight to stop la county's 3.5 billion dollar jail contract we uplifted the disproportionate impacts that the carceral system has on black women in particular and particularly black trans women during COVID 19 when people were being released out of the jail black trans women were the group that was least released compared to everybody else and black women and so that's why it's important that when people are doing the work that they have this analysis and that's why the conversation that happened in that room i feel like it's very immature it's very unsophisticated and you know it's not built for success it's not built to bring everybody together um so that's why on the community level we've been very intentional about that because in other campaigns and other policies we've left not we but communities have been left behind and we haven't gone back for those communities. They have not been able to benefit from reforms or different law changes. Finally, Eunice's, um, any thoughts on the very high profile LA mayor's race that's coming up with Karen Bass and Rick Caruso? Any thoughts on, on how that race is going to be impacted in light of this scandal with the leaked audio recordings? That's a great question. You know, um, it. And it goes back and forth, right? Because people in that space endorsed both of the candidates for mayor. Uh, but when I think about, you know, who as a council member, who can I go talk to when we need to talk about systemic issues that are disproportionately impacting black communities, Latino communities? For when I think about who's going to take that conversation more serious, uh, for me, I feel that's going to be Karen Bass. You know, Rick Caruso is a developer. He is a a millionaire, if not even more than that. And so when he talks about building 30,000 units, he could have been doing that if he really wanted to in the city of LA, he could have been investing in deeply, deeply affordable housing as a developer, but he hasn't. Karen's track record, you know, is much different. She's worked on policies to help people who are impacted by intimate partner violence. She's worked on building bridges and coalitions in South LA. And so, I just, you know, when we talk about policymaking, when we talk about people who can have a deep analysis and understanding, you know, I feel like hopefully people can see that there's one candidate in this race that has that experience. Uh, we don't need people who are tied to corporate interests, to developers in a moment where the city is, government is breaking apart because of racism and, and, and many other things, but also in a moment where the Olympics are being talked about as coming in 2028 when we're seeing record numbers of evictions and displacement, when most of the people who are renters in the city are Latino and black and indigenous. And so I, I, people have a real choice right now. Even though the city is a weak mayor, strong council system, the mayor's in charge of the budget. So when we think about investing in public safety, when we think about investing in small businesses and supporting mom and, uh, small mom and pop landlords, you know, it's not going to be a developer who's going to help us do that. It's going to be someone who's been on the ground who has an idea how that works, who I feel is going to be is going to be willing to work with us to really not leave communities behind. Uh, as of now, as of you and me speaking, Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo still have not resigned. Gil Cedillo, of course, leaves his post in December when you take uh, your seat. I'm, I'm not sure when DeLeon's tenure ends, but uh, there are protesters camped out on Monday 
outside De Leon's house calling for him to step down. Any sense? Do you have any sense of whether these two remaining, uh, the two of the four who have not yet stepped down from their positions, if they will do so? I don't think that they're going to resign. Um, you know, the council interim president has not been able to get a hold of Kevin De Leon. Uh, the incumbent that I ran against, Gil Cedillo, would be out by December 11th. I don't think he's going to resign. He's already on pension. So when we think about financial and economic impacts, mm, I see. he's already receiving pension. He's been receiving pension since last year. Kevin De Leon is different. Uh, he's not on pension. And so I can imagine that this is, this is having a financial impact that's maybe deterring that decision to resign. Uh, but I, I think it's I'm disappointed. I'm sad. I'm angry that you know two other people have resigned yet these individuals have not and they are just as 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 they they made they made statements during that conversation that does not um how do i say this they're trying to clean their hands of that conversation saying that they didn't really say racist things but they've talked about Hawkins, they talked about koreans they talked about mike bonnet's family and so they, they don't have credibility to come back. I don't know what they would come back to. And so I, this is a moment of really showing leadership and you know they're missing the mark. Uh, their legacy is not the work that they've done in the last several decades. Their legacy is gonna be this moment and them digging their heels and refusing to resign, which is holding our city hostage. We're unable to move forward with advancing renter protections that need to be voted on regularly. Uh, because of COVID-19. That has to be approved this week. Yet, you know, they are not replying to anybody. Um, and I don't know if they're going to show up to the to the meeting, the council meeting. So I'm deeply disappointed in their lack of taking accountability um, because we need to start moving forward and heal from what's happening and try to bring credibility back to the council. And they're not allowing us to do that. Unices, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Good luck to you as you get ready to take your seat on the City Council. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Sonali. Thanks for having me. My guest has been Los Angeles City Council member-elect Unices Hernandez, who won the seat occupied by Council Member Gil Cedillo this past June. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com. By becoming a subscriber, find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.